Arguably the hottest topic in crypto at the moment is DeFi and what regulators are going to do in the future, specifically regulators in the United States of America. Obviously we had the epic debate between SBF and Eric Voorhees that led to this conversation. Well, we wanna continue it here. I have some amazing guests, all DeFi experts working actively in the space to talk about this and what the future of DeFi looks like. You guys don't wanna miss this, let's go. That's dope. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and use your SHIB of admit that you obviously have right next to your computer to hit the like button. Everybody's got to have a SHIB of admit to be sarcastic. We also all know that I don't really care about Doge or SHIB. I just think it's funny. As I mentioned in the introduction, the hot button topic right now seems to be regulation of the crypto space in general, but even more specifically, about what is going to happen with DeFi. Now, what I wanna know is whether DeFi even should be regulated in the first place, how that would actually look considering that it's decentralized and unreachable by, by most governments. So I have three incredible guests today. I've got Jared Gray, Nicholas Ramdrud, and Julian Hosp all here to join. I'm gonna go ahead and just bring them on without further ado. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great to be here. So listen. Scott. Going to go ahead and jump right in with that first question that I just mentioned. I think for context, should DeFi even be regulated and is that possible? Jared, you're the head chef at Sushi, which always makes me think of chocolate salty balls from South, South Park for some reason, but I would love to hear your response. Um, should DeFi be regulated? I think in a perfect world, no. Um, do regulators live in a perfect world for us? Probably not. Uh, do we see a future where there's some type of compromise, whether it's on front ends uh, or at the protocol level? I know there's the, the centralization debate going around ETH nodes right now and a little bit of the color that's being added to that conversation about, you know, protocol level censorship and stuff like that. Um, you know, I got into crypto as a libertarian. I've been a lifelong libertarian. So anything that kind of encumbers uh, the freedom of the people and the choices that that they can make to control their own lives and, and destinies, I think is antithetical. Um, so from a personal standpoint, I would love to see DeFi live on without any kind of censorship and let people make their own types of decisions and, and, and you know, choose their own financial um, solutions and products on chain without, without any kind of, you know, government oversight. Julian? I'm completely aligned here with Jared. I think the big thing is what's real DeFi and what just sells itself as DeFi, but is actually CeFi. So for me, the true DeFi is what once deployed cannot be changed and cannot be really interfered with. And I think regulating that, so that's really true protocol level. Uh, to me, that makes no sense. Also, it's super counterproductive. At the end, you're going to just keep the illegal use cases and push all the legit use cases away. So I think that would be an absolute destructive decision to do that. I think the big question really comes down to, yeah, a lot of things where there are ways that humans can actually step in and actually change stuff. And should that be regulated? And here, this is to me where it gets 
very mm -hmm. tricky and I would probably, probably tend more to regulating these pieces. Um, and I'm just scared that regulators around the world don't understand the difference and, and just kind of put it all into the same basket. But that would be my suggestion, uh, how I would approach that topic. Julian, I want to go back to something that you mentioned, which is the idea basically that true DeFi is different than what I think a lot of people are viewing as DeFi. Uh, which leads us to the question of, do we actually have true decentralization in these protocols or is everything sort of on that sliding gray scale? And if we were truly decentralized with any platforms, would regulators then have sort of power over it? No, I mean, I think everything is uh, on a, I, I think there is no 100% true decentralization. I, I think even, um, I mean, Ethereum to a certain extent uh, has some forms of centralization there. So there will always be some kind of, grayscaling, it's not going to be black or white. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I I mean, I think it's a really difficult kind of uh, from a regulatory standpoint. I, I, that's why I mean, it's going to be very, very tricky and very difficult. But there are things where um, on, on certain protocols for uh, let me give a very specific example. I, I'm talking my own book here, but I do this on purpose. So uh, DeFi chain, which is was designed to bring DeFi to Bitcoin, it was intentionally designed where there are no online interfaces so there's no website everything is basically done mm -hmm. on a full note everything has to be downloaded you have to there are no centralized attack points that you could say okay we're going to take over that domain and then afterwards it's not going to run anymore and, th and that was on purpose designed from the very start and i think that's how it then how it would begin to kind of think about these things if i compare that to i don't know let's say uniswap Sure, there are a lot of decentralized aspects to that, but then you still have possibilities to stop it. You have different, uh, you have the possibilities to change stuff. You have centralized attack vectors. So to me, that would go a bit more into the centralized aspect. Now, obviously, if I go to Ethereum, Ethereum sits on the very, very other side again. So that these are things that I would really ask as questions. And then where do you draw the line? I think that's really going to be the magic question. Yeah, that's interesting. Right, yeah, I mean, this kind of goes to both their points. Nicholas was talking about centralized custodians um, versus like the AMM model that, you know, we, we have here at SushiSwap and that Julian was talking about with Uniswap. And, you know, I ran a, a centralized exchange for a year and a half and that's heavily regulated. And the reason for that is because you have a responsibility, you know, have fiduciary responsibility to your clients' deposits to, to make sure that the integrity of the platform that they're engaged with um, reduces liability and that you're making sound financial um, decisions or, or giving them the opportunity to make those without the worry of, of solvency. I think specifically to like AMMs and on-chain protocols that have these centralized front ends, right? We take away that custodial, um, you know, portion of it, and, and we allow people to interact without the intermediary. So we remove that fiduciary responsibility. We programmatically put it on chain so that it can be audited and, and anyone can look at, at what's going on. But you do have these centralized uh, front ends that, you know, I think there there's the challenge, and and I think we're in a period of this experiment with DeFi that technologically doesn't allow people to interact with the protocol in a way that is familiar, like they have in a web two experience when they log into their bank. And so like what Julian's pointing out is 
is for sure a solution for that. But you need a way that doesn't encumber people's access to those types of solutions. And so I think what would really be interesting to see is if we have a fully decentralized infrastructure to replace kind of the Web2 um, you know, way people that access the Internet right now. And you can move that on chain and you can have the, the experience be one to one with the fam familiarity they have now with like their Chase Bank or Bank of America. What do regulators then take a position on for for making a claim to, to wanting um, providers of those protocols uh, have to be regulated by, right? Like what's the onus there? Um, I'm interested to see how that plays out because I think the technology solves a lot of these problems. We're just not quite there yet in the, in the experiment. To some degree, doesn't that mean that we need to also remove ourselves from Amazon Web Services and, and Google Cloud yeah, and all I these things that DeFi is theoretically running on. Like, is there even a chance at true decentralization if it's on those platforms and you know in the cloud? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what what cloud infrastructure you're talking about, right? If it's a centralized provider, then likely not. It, you know, we're only 10, 11 years into this experiment. And I think that if you look back on technological innovations uh, that have real that have revolutionized kind of industry and, and human civilization, these things can take 30, 40, 50, 100 years. So are we to the point where we've solved all of these issues at the current level of, of this experiment? I don't think so. I don't want to see regulators step in and, you know, over-regulate or, or encumber the progress that can be made to innovate towards the optimal solution. So that's where I kind of step back and I say, you know, are these centralized in some aspects? Yes. Is it better than its counterpart in the Web 2, um, you know, non-decentralized uh, arena? And I think the answer is yes. And I'd like to see it continue to, you know, continually iterate to to that uh, optimal solution. I mean, Julian, one thing you... that I always, no, I mean, one thing that I always kind of ask myself is, do we actually need financial re regulation in general? Mm. Do we actually need that, right? Would it be... Like, why do we actually need that regulation? Is it really, what, what, how would the financial world look like if there were zero financial regulation? Would it be a better world? Would it be self-regulated? Would it be absolute chaos? I don't know. Um, I, I think this would be, I don't know, sometimes interesting to see, but I think sometimes it would be really shocking to see. Would this really bring out the worst of humans or would this actually bring out some really good kind of, I don't know, self-regulation where the right things are going to get called out? But then the question always is, if, things get called out afterwards, that always means uh, people lose first and then it gets called out. So I don't know. I, I, I think that's the question that I would always love to start with is do we actually need regulation in the first place. Um, as a libertarian, as someone that thinks that I have a good sense for certain things, I would say, well, I would prefer to have as little regulation as possible. <laughs> but I know a lot of people who really think the exact opposite, who say, um, and these are, I mean, really, these are smart people and I know and, and, and sometimes wealthy people who obviously maybe they also talk in their own book, but they say, look, no, they would love to have more regulation. They would actually invest more in crypto if it would be more regulated. They would actually use more DeFi if there were if there were protocols that get the check mark, right? And says, hey, the SEC check that and it, it falls the guidelines and and there is no kind of experimentation. And and then I would then the big money would follow, right? And then let's kind of think this through. I mean 
a lot, a lot of people in DeFi, I mean, sure, they want to use the protocols, but then at the same time, they want to invest and they want to make money out of this. So what is going to be the net positive? Is the net positive that it's completely open, it's a wild, wild west, and, I, and do as you go? Or is it actually that you set these rules, maybe you kind of hinder some things, but at the end, you're going to really open that pipe for a lot of capital that actually makes it more attractive. And I don't, I, I'm not saying I have the answer to that. I just see it from both angles. Um, and if I were the emperor, like without any limitations, I would make it open and just no regulation. I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure it, it would actually be the right decision. I mean, to some degree, that's what we've had, right? I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're heading into a period where we're going to get regulation. Like, let's be pragmatic. Mm -hmm. it's, now it's a matter of how we approach the regulators and making sure that it's uh, in our best interest or as much as possible. But you could argue that what we have had is exactly what you're talking about, basically an unregulated space. And then you've had the obvious rug pulls and exploits and bridge hacks and all the obvious things are going to happen in that space. But to some degree, that is also self-regulated and called out by, by the industry. Nicholas, I would love to A, hear your thoughts and B, test your mic. Yeah. Uh, how is this? Is this working better? Yep. You're good. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so yeah, this is, this is something where I, you know, I very definitely agree in the, the pure view of, of DeFi, which is really financial freedom and accessibility for the people by the people, right? This is the extension of the Bitcoin ideal and something I deeply believe in. And that is, that is accessibility with no controls. But the balance here obviously is going to be how do we do this in such a way that enables people to feel comfortable with the technology so that it can grow and become more adopted. And this is this is the problem that we're facing right now where there is a space of full of hacks, scams and all these problems in which regulators see as as issues they need to solve and step in to take care of. Right. And this is where we're in this dangerous zone of where we see regulation coming and what are we going to do about it? And I think it's our job to ensure that we we help them understand where that line is, where programmatic execution of these protocols can really solve a lot of these risks. But also that comes with, you know, a necessity to put security at the at the front of of our um, of our job and make sure that we're doing that before uh, you know, we have any of these hacks continue. Yeah, I think <clears throat> so to what Julian was speaking about, and you kind of hit on it as well, Nicholas, um, the way I think about regulation is that it, it is truly from like the libertarian free market, Austrian economics view that the best product or best service provider wins, right? And mm -hmm. they win because they just do a better job. And so when I think of what regulation could look like for DeFi, Again, this is a perfect world kind of solution. It's that the best protocols win, right? So like they're regulated by the market and those that cause issue. We have quite a few people in the space that dedicate their lives um, to going after rug pulls like, you know, Scott was pointing out and, and making sure that people who do uh, these types of things are, are, you know, brought to awareness in, in the space. And so that's one part of of self-regulation and then i would say that like protocols that are launched can i can i just say something i'll let you continue i actually sure. fundamentally disagree with that the best product hardly ever wins it's the best marketed product that wins mm. we see this with hamburgers all around the world mcdonald's definitely does not have the best hamburger but it's the 
the most widely eaten hamburger, right? So I just want to push back there that it's not the best protocol that will win. It will. I, be, I don't think he's saying the best so, protocol does win. I think he's saying in a perfect world, the best protocol would win. Point. But I, I will let Jared continue. Sorry, Jared. Yeah. Okay. No, so, that's fine. Um, yeah. I appreciate that that point. I think what does marketing like why does marketing is exist right it's to make money for a brand or a company or to promote a persona i think true online uh, on-chain protocols should in a sense again in a perfect world they're devoid of financial incentive to provide these services to their to their counterparties um so i think that if you were to launch on-chain protocols that were DeFi specific you remove the intermediary, you know, the, the centralized custodial aspect, you remove the, the financial incentive for the operator to make money. So there's no sense for marketing. Uh, and then the ones that execute programmatically on chain for their customers. And I use the word customers kind of uh, uh, liberally. Um, users is probably a better word. Um, those would be the ones that I would see get the most usage and propagate throughout throughout the space uh, at a greater degree of distribution. So um, that's kind of how I, I would love to see it happen. Is that going to be the case? Probably not, but that's how I think about it philosophically. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love the world to work this way, but I mean, to me, it always comes down to incentives and mm -hmm. we have seen the entire world. I mean, this very famous Buffett quote, right? Show me someone's incentive, I show you the outcome. And so to me, something where there's very little incentive to kind of get propagated forward. And then you have something else that has very strong incentives to be propagated forward. It's just so much more likely that that thing starts becoming viral because more people have an incentive to spread the word forward. So, and, and, and I always personally always felt that this was what many of the blockchains actually that had tokens on top of them made it so powerful for these blockchains because that's where the community started spreading stuff. But I don't want to divert so much or digress so much away from the actual topic. Um, to me, where it really is going to come down to is that question on what are we hoping? If, if I'm, let's say we are, let's say the four of us would be good regulators and we would have, let's put ourselves into the other side and we would have the best interest in mind, right? So we would really want to actually have a, a, a a good incentive. What would be that incentive or what would be the motivation that we would actually want to get out of um, out of regulation? And so I would hope, right, that we all four of us would sit there and say, oh, we would love to avoid people losing money, right? So fall for scams um, and, and, and or one actor abusing the system for their own financial benefit at the loss of everyone else. So I would assume that this is as a regulator I would be doing. And so now the question really becomes, if that is, and, and maybe you guys disagree and say, no, no, um, actually, the, uh, sure, maybe in, in our unperfect world, the world uh, regulators all, also want to protect Wall Street and they want to protect the big guys, sure, but let's kind of put this aside. But if we have these really pure, true intentions, what would we regulate? How would we actually approach the topic, right? Would, 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 what would you actually do? And, and I think that's a... To me, when I think about this question, I put myself on the other side and say, okay, if I really tried to do this in a good way, would I actually have a good answer? And I don't know, I'm asking you because I actually think about this stuff and I don't really have a good answer. I wouldn't know how to do this. And then if, if and, and then I think, look, I'm in this industry for a long time now. I'm, I'm dealing with this day in, day out. I think a lot of, I mean, many regulators around the world are gonna get this completely wrong mm. if, if I actually don't even yeah. have a good answer to that. 
Yeah, Nicholas, I want your response first, but I would say for me personally, it would be simply starting at consumer protection and transparency, right? Listen, CFI is not DeFi, but if me, even as a customer of Voyager, had known that they had given that loan to Three Arrows Capital, I would have exited the platform immediately, right? So there's a basic level of, I think, transparency, information that would lead to consumer protection. I mean, you touched on it perfectly, Julian. You said basically, listen, the regulator's mandate is supposed to be to protect consumers, but they're really protecting the interests of, of platforms and, and Wall Street, et cetera. So yes, I think in an ideal world, if we had to regulate, it would have to be a balance where people are free to do whatever they want, but at least they have the information to make the appropriate decision to, to do so, in my mind. Nicholas. Yeah, and I think that comes in the form of proper disclosures, right? I think anything yep. beyond proper disclosures, we start to over encumber the the processes required in order to innovate in this space. And if we had that kind of control in the early days of the internet, would the internet be as powerful as it is today where information is widely free and we're pushing innovation continually? And I think that if we do anything, anything that adds any more requirements and cost to developing in this technology, to pushing this technology forward, what we risk is, and possibly even the greatest risk of all, is preventing innovation from continuing to happen, right? And then it would just put us closer on a trajectory to traditional finance, whereas only the big players can come in because there's a high cost, a high barrier of entry. Yeah, that's that's the regulatory moat that you're talking about. And you see that has played out multiple times in the US over the last 100 plus years, specifically like in the telecom industry, where like in the you had the Ma Bell conglomerate that was a monopoly and it was regulatorily enabled until they came in and deregulated it. And then you had intralata interstate, you know, long distance uh, choice, which brought long distance costs down uh, and allowed the really the advent of competitive pricing for the cellular network. You saw it with natural gas. I mean, it's just like part and parcel. They, they like to put regulatory moats in place so that they can kind of co-op an industry make money from it, make their friends make money from it. And that's what I don't want to see happen to DeFi. And you kind of already see it now where those costs are are encumbering development teams from being able to innovate, right? Mm -hmm. um, not quite yet to that level that of those examples I gave, but I think it's likely headed that way, unfortunately. But the question then becomes with a regulatory moat, can that moat encircle the entire world or simply the country that's regulating? Because I think what we've seen largely is that DeFi, crypto in general, companies and platforms just don't operate in the United States. They've already just basically said, we have no clarity here, so we're not gonna do it and we're gonna innovate elsewhere. So even if we get, let's call it heavy-handed regulation in the United States, does that just push the innovation offshore and it continues regardless? I mean, the United States is one of, if not the largest, uh, and I'm not an, a macro econom uh, economist, so if I'm wrong on this, don't. Uh... Everyone follows us. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we are a large, very large right, economy, and people want access to build and innovate for U.S. customers. So I think the challenge is not, do we build these solutions offshore, away from regulators in the U.S., but how do we get them to see that whatever actions they take, these are likely the results of those actions. And we'd rather this set of regulations or actions be taken. Again, in a perfect world, I'd like them to just go, hey, this is a really cool experiment. 
We're going to use the laws on the book that on the books that exist and prosecute people that commit fraud and financial crimes. Hmm. And we're not going to regulate this industry into the ground uh, because, you know, it's doing really cool things uh, and it's kind of self-regulating. They're not going to do that. that um, I mean, that's the best point. The bad actors, what they're doing is already illegal without regulation. Right. right? We, we have very clear laws in place about what people are allowed to and not do. And all the scams, hacks, and exploits are already illegal, regardless of any regulation that we, we get. Exactly, yeah. And I guess that would be my hope, right? My hope is that, you know, with this current DCCPA uh, bill being drafted, that they recognize that this, this line between centralized custodial technologies and decentralized custodial technologies, again, while the end result is, is very similar, that it's different enough that it's going to take some some time to figure out the best policies going forward if there needs to be any any regulation because i think the only thing that's stopping them is that worry of you know are we going to strangle innovation within the united states if we put too strong controls in place um and 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 i i just hope that they recognize that and that the risk is is there and that they, they don't go naively forward that's interesting because the way I think about how regulators view whether or not they strangle strangle innovation is are they strangling their ability to make money from from the industry that they want to regulate not are they helping it move forward so that's I'm super skeptical of regulation aside from maybe like you know very basic consumer protection laws that emphasize the laws that are already on the book books. Book, yeah, I mean, books. we see this worldwide. I mean, yeah. you're 100% right, right? So, I mean, we don't only see this in the US. I'm originally from Europe. Obviously, the Baffin Wirecard case kind of oh, underlines yeah. that. I live in Singapore, right? So, obviously, I look at it from the outside to many things, and I see this left and right. Um, I, I do have to say, um, and again, I think Singapore has done a fairly, I'm not saying a perfect job, but I think Singapore has actually done a fairly decent job with um, keeping those interests at check, right? Where it's more on maybe a very balanced kind of uh, thing. But I think it's also always a bit easier to do this in a city state like Singapore, where 5 million people live in one city and that's the country versus you have, I don't know, what does the US have? 300 million in, uh, people with like- And they're not operating on laws that were passed in the 1930s and 1940s because exactly. it's new, right? Like of they don't course. have the precedent of the Howey test to be concerned yes. with. <laughs> yeah. Correct. That makes perfect yeah. sense. And Julian, but even once one again, example, go, go ahead, please. So one thing I just want to throw in, I mean, we have actually seen the U.S. give away a lot of the innovation. I mean, you look at Coinbase, Kraken. When I got started in the crypto space in 2014, I mean, these were the exchanges to look up to. These were the dominant players. They are not anymore, right? All of this got dragged out. And I know, I think this is a bit of a... I, I, again, I think from a regulator standpoint, I mean, Jared, I agree with you that the regulator really cares about, obviously, their own interests there. But if you then start giving away this dominance, and I would really say one of the reasons the U.S. actually still managed to keep their dominance for such a long time, especially, let's say, over the last 20 years, sure, was the dollar, but at the same time, it's because the U.S. has so much of the infrastructure when it comes to Apple, when it comes to Amazon, when it comes to social media companies. I mean, the entire world depends on that. And I'm, I would just be really amazed if the U.S. Is, takes such a bad decision and gives the power of crypto up. Um, that, to me, is just something where 
I don't know if I would if I would sit down in in the U.S. government or in in some kind of decision making position, they would be like, like we need to figure out how we're gonna keep the innovation, how we're gonna actually get this stuff into our shore, so that people are gonna use our stuff and we have the oversight over this. You could um, argue that China already made that mistake and was in a greater position of power to take advantage of the industry. So yeah. nothing would surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you I know, think, like. Um, I wouldn't want the job of a politician or a regulator whatsoever. You know, I'm just a computer nerd that's trying to navigate this <laughs> this industry. But I, I really, if if you, I, I I love doing this, right? I mean, I'm someone who really loves to kind of put myself into the other shoes, try to do this from like, well, how would I do this if I would have full integrity? If I would like wanted to really have best interests in mind, how would I do this? And I really think it is a super hard thing on that DeFi regulation. So it's not that it's an easy one. But I'm just worried that the U.S. is going to come out and actually, yeah, really stifle innovation and it's going to get this wrong. And, and I think that's, I mean, we saw this on with, with SBF also coming out in, in, on, on Twitter and, and you see that there is a bit of a very hostile kind of stance and that would be, that would be dramatic in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the alignment there with Sam is, is simply that he operates a very large exchange and everything that he puts forward as a possible, you know, regulatory, regulatory, like compromise, if you will, is going to be seen through the lens of what financial incentives, you know, do, do FTX get from this? Um, is that fair to him? Maybe not, but it's just the position he has in the industry. And so if he's going to be involved in these discussions, he's going to, He's going to have to be like really aware of that he might already be aware of that i'm not i don't want to put words in his mouth or anything like that but you know i i wouldn't want to be in the position he's in where he's trying to balance these two like really delicate you know um discussions that he needs to have where he likely wants to see innovation succeed and to de you know defy and stuff like that to have the best chance to to to, to win but are people going to view what he puts forward through that lens? And I think uh, you saw many people don't. So, yeah, but many people do, right? And, and so, do, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it's just the loudest voices, obviously. And we always sort of, you know, jump to to supporting hatred. And it's amazing to see how fast people turn uh, their bias towards people in this industry, of course. But to what Julian said, the biggest fear is that the regulators basically just take the context of all the old things that they've ever done. They try to smash this into the box. They don't understand it. They don't do any research and it just gets stifled. So right. whether it's SPF or not can be the debate, but somebody has to represent and it should be a collective has to represent this industry and educate them so that they at least delay long enough to have an idea of what they're regulating. In my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I think this technology is so, so different. And you can see it even in, in draft bills that I've seen on the DCCPA that, that, that show the level of, of differentness of this technology such that they're having to define out everything like what is a validator? How does a validator actually play a role in executing transactions? How could that be seen as taking part in executing in, in part of the centralized control of what actually happens in these markets. Do the people that develop the software, are they liable as well? And all of these thoughts, I think, just show how different this is from their normal regulatory framework for these kinds of services. 
Um, and it, and it's it's certainly worrying because the the gap required for them to get from where they are to understanding it deeply enough to be able to apply a good regulatory framework, if at all, is is so significant uh, that I, I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get there. And then couple in the fact that many, many of many politicians simply don't care. Yeah, <laughs> they don't care what the outcome is. They're, they're going to um, join in with their you know congressional constituents in whatever bandwagon choice uh, kind of gains momentum. And that's really that's a threat as well. I mean, that's kind of a threat in consensus mechanisms for on chain protocols as well. Right. It's just the nature of, of humans um, as well. I mean, you know, we have a thing in DeFi, right, where we're trying to figure out the best governance models, but humans have been trying to figure out how to govern themselves for 5,000 plus years. Are we going to get it right in, in the last five years, the DeFi protocols? <laughs> no, right? So going back to my original point of this experiment being relatively new and needing to have that kind of unencumbered runway to experiment and get this thing right before regulators come in and chop us off, off at the knees, so to speak. Yeah, Hester Peirce, obviously an SEC commissioner, has proposed safe harbor countless times and it's effectively been ignored by Gary Gensler. If we're talking about something that's a grand compromise, that seems like the most rational approach that I've certainly seen from a regulator or from our industry, which she's not even a part of. For anyone who doesn't know, it effectively says you can launch a project and you have three years to be sufficiently decentralized where according to certain yet to be defined steps, you will prove that you're decentralized and that you're no longer a company and you should no longer be beholden to the Howey test or be called a security. So you have three years to start because let's be honest, every de truly decentralized platform is probably going to start with some sort of centralization, sure. right? Can you truly start decentralized, not have a leader and just hope for the best? It's Lord of the Flies. Bitcoin didn't start decentralized. It's impossible. It is impossible by definition, right? Something needs to start it. And it doesn't matter if this is an anonymous account, a known account. I think, it, I think that's a good part, right? If let's say you had those three years and it started today, what are definite knockout criteria, right? And I, for example, think if a protocol needs a centralized website access. I think that always makes it a bit harder. I think if there are the centralized gatekeepers, uh, if there are, if there's a small group of people or a few individuals that can change the rules of that specific protocol of, or, or that, that specific project, to me, this is not DeFi. Um, so to me, these are very clear knockout criteria. And, and, um, and I mean, we, on our side, we did a lot of thinking on this, what could be seen as knockout criteria. Uh, just because, yeah, if we can avoid those, then at least we do hope that there's a, a good shot in order not to to kind of be captured in any kind of, not only the US, but in, in any kind of regulation globally, right? So I think that's also obviously a key question. What are those things that would definitely fall into the CFI category versus the DeFi category? Well, we can, we can actually see, I think we can see the direction that regulators are taking with this, at least their opinion with their enforcement action against UkiDAO, right? And I think it comes down to control, control in two different categories, technical control and business control. Technical control, I think that's easily definable. And I think that we're understanding now that uh, immutability and inability, and inability to update smart contracts shows a level of control that in their opinion is very much like makes you as liable to centralized custodial technologies 
and services. Um, whereas a little less defined, but still very important is how business control impacts that, right? And that's, you know, they're being, they're being charged with being an unregistered exchange because they've shown business control by being able to influence the DAO in a large way. So those, those things are, are categories in which we need very clear guidance on what, what is control. Is there, do we have an ability to um, upgrade contracts, prevent attacks? Uh, if we do find something later on down the line, once we've, once we've launched a protocol, can we go and change it? Is that something the DAO needs to, to take precedence on or, or how do we go about dealing with these sorts of issues? Uh, we have three, we have three guests here who are actively building protocols with this lack of regulatory clarity, right? I mean, you, you guys are dealing with this every single day. How do you approach building and where you're going to deploy things and how you're going to approach American customers or, or users without any clarity? Some people would actually say, I've heard, we'd rather have negative clarity than no clarity at all. So I guess we can go around the room, Jared, Julian, and Nicholas, what you're building and how you're approaching it without this clarity. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sushi has, um, you know, has a heavy um, traditional kind of ethos of, of maintaining decentralized governance for all of all of what it does, right? Um, how we view moving forward, you know, we recently had the DAO vote on a um, governance structure, a legal entity, uh, organizational structure that was advised to us by Fenwick on how we can continue the way we've been doing business. Um, and when I say business, I don't mean so much like make as much money or have as many customers or whatever, but to do business means to build protocols that, you know, users can leverage for their financial autonomy and, and to have lending services and so, uh, so forth. Um, but that was under the advisement of Fenwick and, you know, they have a fairly clear, uh, and battle tested structure for how to, uh, distribute the organization, uh, and it's, you know, reliance on certain parts of the stack so that these things are segmented in a way that they're not so reliant on each other. So if one is in a jurisdiction that, you know, says no more of this, we can find another jurisdiction where we can go and we can set up. Um, and so having that kind of uh, organizational structure allow sushi to move forward. It would be nice if there was some clarity on what we can and can't do more definitively in certain jurisdictions, but this is the best structure that we have from, you know, arguably one of the best law firms in the world that has spearheaded a lot of this kind of legal approach to, to getting towards some type of, I don't want to say compliance, but I want to say operating in a space where, um, you're not drawing the ire of regulatory regimes. You're, you're being aware of what of what exists and operating in, in the in the environment that they've created. So 
you know, it's it's a trying it's a trying process. <laughs> I'm on I'm on the phone with Fenwick pretty regularly and making sure that as we move forward, we're not exposing the Dow to liability and stuff like that with with proposals that get put up for governance snapshot votes and stuff like that. So it's a very nuanced approach. And that kind of speaks to this whole discussion of without the regulatory clarity or without regulations at all, none of this this would be a totally different environment in which we could build and it would move a lot faster. Julian. Um, I mean, we have put a lot of thought into this. DeFi chain is a, its own blockchain. It's a Bitcoin fork with added up codes for changing the consensus algorithm to staking, to adding. It's non-Turing complete, so it adds a lot of up codes to liquidity mining as a, uh, with an AMM on the DEX on uh, loan structure, vault structure. So all these things got added non-Turing complete. Um, the way we approached this from the very beginning was there was no ICO. It was a pure fork with airdrops for Bitcoin holders. So it was, uh, we, we always thought from a, any kind of security perspective that just made the most sense. Uh, this decentralized the holdings right away from the start. Um, there's no company around uh, DeFi chain. There's a foundation that just holds the trademarks and 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 holds the rights there. Um, this is a DAO's kind of structure held by all the the masternodes. Um, yeah. Then their decisions like the website defichain.com is a pure informational piece that kind of guides to GitHub, guides to all the various kind of pieces. So um, just like any there, there's and you you. And if you want to run the the decks, you want to run the the, the software, whatever you you need to download uh, the node yourself, and you you need to run this all from your own device. So this, we, at least we tried, and I think we did a really really good job as a community today to not have these single point of failures. I mean, sure you can say, hey, uh, I don't know the repo on GitHub, it's there, and and we can close that, and we've seen this, and sure, I mean, but that it's not going to stop everything. Um, that, that's all. I mean, we also had a lot of legal kind of guidance on this. It's just that whenever we realize that there's a centralized kind of aspect, then how are we going to get rid of that, right? And it's a step-by-step -step process. So um, I also wish that there was just more guidance and then try to kind of adjust to that guidance. But then at the same time, yeah, uh, you just need to kind of try to do a best practice. And I, I think we have tried that over the past years every single day and uh, we're going to keep trying, yeah. Yeah. Nick, you're up. Uh, Cadex is, is an end-to-end -end DeFi platform where we have an AMM DEX staking in, in DAO that we've set up uh, as a separate Swiss entity, kind of in the, same, in the same effort of creating something that is sustainable into the future while trying to navigate this, this uh, unclear space. And the way this kind of stuff impacts us, I think it's a way that it impacts any kind of innovator in this space where you're you're instead of it just being about innovation, building the technology and finding proper market fit, there's a significant part of our business strategy that is, okay, develop an idea. Where are we going to go with this DeFi technology? How do we fill out our protocol stack and then take that back to, you know, our legal counsel and our advisors and spend a lot of time going through, um, you know, what do we know? Do we know? what can we learn from enforcement actions that are currently going on and how do we how do we navigate through that and it, then it's just becomes 
uh, a balance of risk versus reward. And that that risk versus reward, right, when we're going through and figuring out how do we want to leave our mark on this world and try to push DeFi forward, how do we do so in such a way that isn't a risk to us, isn't a risk to the DAO and create something that's that's sustainable and going to live on? And I know, you know, Jared, I know you guys are working on the same kind of issue with looking at what kind of protocols can we bring into Sushi. And it's something that we we spend a lot of time on. Unfortunately, in this space, that means that, you know, we have to spend a lot of money on hiring counsel that can help us navigate through this. Right. And that's that's the unfortunate bit about this. And until we get clear guidance, um, that's going to be a barrier and it's going to be about risk versus reward instead of just innovation. You literally just made my next comment, which is nothing screams decentralization like millions of dollars in legal fees Yeah, uh, for, for multiple <laughs> conflicting opinions where the lawyers are obviously hedging their bets and don't want to give you the wrong, yeah. wrong advice. So right. many conversations having, in truck. I remember having SBF on the show and he was like, I have more lawyers working for me than people. Yep. I have one in every single jurisdiction and they all conflict each other. Yep. Yeah. You know, and because they're giving an opinion to not get themselves in trouble if their opinion is wrong. So, I, that, I mean, if that doesn't, what you're saying about needing to get legal opinions and spend money on lawyers doesn't say how broken this system is, I don't think anything else does. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a red herring on where it's headed, whether we like it or not. You know, I, I mean, the banking industry and any other heavily regulated industry to, isn't short on legal counsel fees. That's for sure. So I think, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I think all of us here kind of want to see a certain type of thing happen. Um, and I, it sounds like we're kind of doing our part to, to work within the system that we have now to espouse that as the solution. Um, unfortunately it's a little bit out of our hands. Um, although I am involved politically at the local level here in Tampa, Florida, I'm not sure how much that's going to influence the congressional uh, body in DC, but, you know, I think getting involved politically on whatever level you can in your jurisdiction uh, is important. Yeah. I, mean, I think one thing, and I'm, I, I'm a bit repeating myself, but I just want to add that again. I think if we all sat here and said, yeah, you know, um, actually the regulation is doing what it's supposed to do. It's, it's protecting consumers and, you know, it's, it's making the world a better place and, and, and it's keeping frauds out of the system. I think if it did that, we all sat here and said, yeah, sure, let's be very constructive about it. Let's discuss this. And we're very optimistic about it. But I think the reason there's so much frustration around it is because so many times we actually see that, for, that regulation is exactly not doing that. I think that's where the underlying frustration and skepticism comes from. I, I, I truly believe that because if it were the other way around, if we really said, hey, I know there's so much value, it's so useful, then I, I don't think we would have that frustration or we wouldn't be so scared what could actually happen. But because we know that many times there's this, yeah, very questionable decision making there, I think that's where the entire discussion actually comes from. Yeah. Sadly. I mean, yeah, I agree. Go ahead. sorry, Scott, go ahead. No, please. No, I was just going to say, Julian, you know, that's like, it just kind of exists everywhere in the political realm, right? Like in the US, one of the greatest philosophical debates is do we have true capitalism? <laughs> because people like, some people don't like it, some people don't, whatever. I think the answer is obviously we don't. We have a form of crony capital capitalism where corporate interests influence the outcome of our, you know, legislation. That's not a fair system. I don't want to see anything like that. 
take foot and become the status quo for for crypto. I'm just very, very, uh, I guess I'm very libertarian, <laughs> I guess, when we get down to it. I just really like people to, to be able to have the autonomy and uh, make their own decisions, choose their own fate. And, you know, I've been rug pulled plenty of times and it, it sucks every time, but I would not want to see that be the reason that we lose the industry to overregulation. You know, and would it would it even solve any of those problems, which I don't think it ever would. Right. And so yeah. that's where I take it back. We have to really understand what the purpose and what do we want out of regulation. And if it's if it's consumer protection, well, this technology solves many of the issues in which they cite for the reason for regulation. Right. Data, uh, open transparency, execution on chain, all of that solves those problems. So so what are we what are we doing and what are we trying to solve? Yeah, Jared, to your point, I mean, I think we all probably agree here that capitalism is a myth. As you said, it's crony capitalism. And I've always made the argument that perhaps my passion for Bitcoin comes from the fact that I view it as the last and only true free market on Earth. That's a great. Nobody, yeah, China, China, China bans Bitcoin. 50% of the hash rate goes offline. Nobody steps in and bails it out. There's no Fed. There's no floor. It just keeps on chugging along. Right. And uh, some people lose money and some people make money and it's a free market. Isn't that what we're all striving for here in the first place? Absolutely. Yeah. And too, like that's I mean, that's a great point. And I would say that like Bitcoin is a prime example of as as a network becomes larger and more decentralized, it becomes more secure uh, and resistant to those types of issues. Um, right now, you know, it's tied to parts of the traditional world uh, of finance where it's ebbing and flowing in some cor correlation, but I think it gets to a point where maybe 10 years or 20 years down the road, I think that it really does showcase its store of value uh, and, and its primary white paper purpose at that point of the experiment. Um, I hope we get there without killing the industry with, with regulation. That's my, really my, my hope and desire. Julian or Nick? You agree? Yeah, that's good. Much well, bad. I, I, yeah, I think that's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, not much bad. It's just yeah, I mean, for one, I guess that, Jared, what you just said, I mean, it circles back to the original topic, which is, you know, the United States versus DeFi, who will win? I think the consensus seems here that we all know what we would want in a perfect world. We all agree that perfect world doesn't exist. And I think we all also agree that DeFi will continue regardless of regulation in the United States, just how much it will be inhibited in those particular jurisdictions. Yeah. I mean, and, right. and, you know, and, and so if that's the worst case, it's really not that bad in, in my opinion. I would say it's important during that fight to maintain your principles and not compromise out of a sense of uh, like bowing, you know, bowing to the king kind of approach. Uh, I think I would like to see more fundamental stances like what Eric took in the debate be. OFAC how yeah how the conversation moves forward bringing them to our side instead of crossing the aisle so much to make make regulators comfortable get them to see that maybe these hundred plus year old laws need to be updated or they need at least revisiting so that they can be applied correctly in this new you know um, paradigm of financial solutions that we're building um yeah yeah i i think that that's 
part and parcel our responsibility to to help them see instead of the risks that they see they see this air, this space is just a a huge bucket of risks that they need to step in to do something about uh instead what are the opportunities that that this technology brings to um you know the economy and i guess even in their their power of oversight with certain technologies like stable coins and and etc right and all of those things I think we all have a part in stepping in to help that, but also drawing a firm line on where where that ends. And I really, I really truly think that any regulation into DeFi that imposes more controls on this space will kill innovation and will just put it on a collision course with TradFi. Yeah, I mean, you kill you kill people's ability to build, right? by overregulating and then you co-opt it with yep. your buddies <laughs> and you allow and you allow them to build your version of the solution and that's what obviously none of us want i don't think um and i don't think that provides better con consumer protections or better consumer choices i think if anything it hinders both of those and um you're absolutely right nicholas like working together with them to educate where there's some you know where there's a divide between the understanding. And I think there's actually a lot of really smart people involved in government regulating. And so I'm less about giving them the benefit of the doubt on the educational side of things and more trying to understand what their, their uh, opaque uh, initiatives are for wanting an, a certain outcome, mm -hmm. right? And then having that conversation on, on level ground, which right good luck. We're right up against time. So Julian, you get the final word and then uh, we'll, we'll close. I, I just, I, I, I fundamentally actually believe that we're going to see some regulation all around the world, whether we like it or not. I also fundamentally believe that none of the regulators are going to get it right because I think not even we can agree here what it means to have the right regulation. So how are they going to do it? Um, and then I also hope that those jurisdictions that get it more on the wrong side, that they actually lose the talent and that they lose the projects and they lose the incentives and they, they lose the innovation and it shifts towards those regions that do it well, because that should be that fair market punishment. And then hopefully over time, regulators cannot play their game of putting it into their own pockets, but they actually get penalized for bad decision-making. And, and that is what I, truly hope and actually believe to a certain degree. And and then evolution will take its course. It may take a little bit. And then over time, we're going to get to a state of DeFi regulation that is truly helpful for consumers, which I would actually be okay with. I don't have an issue with regulation as long as it's truly helpful to consumers and not this phony regulation that actually just works into the pockets of whatever, politicians, corporations, and so on. Um, but then still be open to the innovation part. And I actually do think we're going to see this. I'm just a bit afraid that we're not going to see it maybe in the next 12 months, but maybe in the next 12 months, we're going to see a bit of some stifling innovation uh, regulation and only over the next maybe 10 years, it's actually going to open up again. Well, we've all got 10 years. So uh, <laughs> well, if, if that's how long it takes, I think that we'll all be here and still hopefully be building and championing this space. Thank you all three of you, Jared, Nicholas, Julian, for joining and for the time. And 
everyone who missed it, we got over a lot of technological issues right before we went live. My camera wasn't working, Nick's mic. So I'm glad we were able to make it work and that it was such high quality. I appreciate all of your perspective. Guys, I tagged all three of them on Twitter. So please go follow Jared, Julian, and Nicholas and, and to find out more about what they're doing. It's Sushi Caddx and, of course, uh, Cake Defy and Defy Chain. I will be back tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time reviewing the week in news because that's what we do now on Fridays. Guys, thank you once again. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate all of your insight. Everyone else, see you tomorrow. Peace. Thank you. That's dope.